Good morning. My goodness. Well, hello. It's great to see you again. And just to know that these kinds of things and this, these kinds of people are at play and at work in our nation's capital. For those of us who come from the hinterlands, because I came from Colorado, this is a just wonderful to see this. Friends who are at Nova, God bless you. Thank you for being there and you folks who are online as well. Come Holy Spirit. I, um, I've been watching uh, these last few weeks, so encouraged, learned a ton. If you haven't watched online, whether here or no other places, please go back and check out those two messages. The thing about the Holy Spirit is that I am not always aware of him. I know I should be because I'm old and stuff, but I'm not always aware of him, of his presence or my need. Um, when I think about his presence, when I think, come Holy Spirit, you know, that's got violins and flutes behind it, come Holy Spirit. But in my need, it's like a brass section with timpani, come Holy Spirit, you know, I need, so it has various flavors to it when we say, come Holy Spirit. And I had a need moment pop up almost 50 years ago. I was a 32-year-old church planter, much like Mark and Laura Ruth and I were at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, 135 miles south of Chicago, in this sort of Athens in the middle of cornfields. Some of you know that area, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> and when you have just a handful of folks, everybody counts. He just said it, Mark just said it. 19 people and these two folks show up and I, I know when you're 50 something and going to a 20 something church, people say all oh, the wisdom you bring. I think it's probably more about the cash. I just put that out there, no. So, but anyway, we, we had, I just threw that in there. That was good, I might try that again. <clears throat> but this couple came from Wisconsin and they were about our age and he was a young ordained minister and he was associate director of a group called Campus Life Youth for Christ. It's like Young Life, they work with high schoolers. And Denny was the associate director of that and, and he was smart and he's engaging and he's funny. And his deal is that he knew how to recruit volunteers. He had recruited at this juncture in time that I'm talking about, this would be about 1974, he had recruited about 70 University of Illinois students that year to work with high schoolers in various high schools. It was a tremendous thing that he was doing. And we had a big step and a big plan. And I went to that church board and I said, excuse me, <clears throat> and I said, let's have, let me try this one more time. <clears throat> I love it when our sound people are on it like that and they just, let's hear it for our sound people. That's wonderful. <clears throat> we had this big plan that I was going to ask him to be campus pastor for our congregation at the University of Illinois. Going to have a lunch meeting at 10.30. My phone rings, and I'm in the office because we didn't have cell phones back then, of course. And one phone call changed everything. One phone call changed my life. One phone call changed how I saw the Holy Spirit. Ever have a phone call that changed everything? Many of us have had phone calls that 
that unexpected moment and, and we don't know what it's going to be going forward. What had happened is Denny, who was 28 years old, gotten up that morning and he told his wife after he took a shower, he said, my arms are kind of tingly, I don't know what's going on, but I'll be okay. And he went, sat down at his dining room table, had his five-year-old daughter on his lap and called his wife. She stuck her head around the corner of the kitchen door just in time to see him go on the floor with a rhythmic heart failure at the age of 28. Now, our hearts have, and those of you who are in the medical arena, please forgive me because this is not going to be precise. Okay, this is a, like a faux metaphor. Your heart kind of has its own electrical system that causes your heart to beat like this. If for some reason that shorts out, if it has some short-circuiting happening, that will stop and your heart will start doing this. It'll quiver, and when it starts quivering, it stops pumping. And when it stops pumping, the place that loses oxygen the first or early on is the cortex of your brain, that inch thick covering that controls your speech, your all of, I mean, for me to say thank you is an unbelievable process from one side of my brain to, my, to the other and out my mouth. For me to say thank you very much, have you seen this water bottle? That's a whole other deal to pick this up. And that's all happening because of the cortex of my brain. And when you stop getting blood to your brain, you stop getting life to your brain because life is in the blood. And for an older person, your brain cells start dying in two to three minutes. And a younger person like Denny, four to five minutes, took him 15 to 20 minutes to get to the hospital. I'm in my car racing for the hospital. He's at the hospital. I have no idea what's going to happen, but the Holy Spirit is in both places at the hospital and where I am in the car. So here's my first thought. I just have a few thoughts for you this morning. The Holy Spirit is always. The Holy Spirit is always. I, I could use that word eternal, but I kind of like always. <laughs> I love it where that parishioner came to a pastor and said, you know, just because God is eternal doesn't mean your messages need to be everlasting. You know? <laughs> uh, but but he, he, here is the always spirit. I heard it two weeks ago from Pastor Mark right here. That I love it that the spirit hovered over the face of the waters. There's this moment of intimate majesty, if you will, and it's through all the scripture. The spirit is at the beginning. The spirit is at the end. The spirit is all the way through. God is spirit, and it's not static. It's just not nouns. He has names, but, but you have these action verbs. He's abiding, he's living, he's baptizing, he's leading, he's convicting, he's convincing, he's empowering, he's making holy, he is calling, he's advocating. I love that advocating. I need, don't you need somebody who's in your corner? You need somebody who advocates for you, and that's who he is. So that's number one for me. The spirit is always, come Holy Spirit. Secondly, he's always at work in us. He's always at work in us. You go to the Old Testament and you have all of these moments in time. The nation of Judah has been taken away or the tribes of Judah have been taken away to Babylon 600 years before Jesus. And they've been in captivity. They're allowed to come back and they start rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple. Nehemiah is one of the guys that's helping to build the temple. But the governor is a guy named Zerubbabel. What a great name. And, and, and it says this in Zechariah. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Anything that is going to be always is by the spirit. 
not by my brain, as good as that might be because God created your brain, right? Not by my efforts, although he wants us to be productive, but anything that lasts forever is going to be by the Spirit of God. That's what I believe, and I'm sticking to it. And here in the Old Testament, you have this localized spirit, if you will. You got him in the tent. You got him in the tabernacle. You got him on the mountain. And in the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, he goes mobile. It's like, you know, goes mobile. He's always, and where does he go mobile? Well, he goes mobile in you. It's not the temple. You are the temple. You say, I'm going to church. No, no, you brought the church this morning. This, the, the spirit doesn't live in this space on M Street across from the Navy Yard. The spirit lives in you. <laughs> and when you bring uh, the, the congregation that we're a part of out in Colorado in Fort Collins called Timberline, and they have a story that was pivotal in their history about 20 years ago where a, um, a hairdresser, a guy, a hairstylist, downtown near Colorado State University. Colorado State's about 30,000, wonderful university. Uh, he would do hair for all these young women from Colorado State, and one was a particularly beautiful young woman, and, and he was an evangelist. He is an evangelist at heart. He has this very natural way. And one day, she said, I'd like to go to that church where you go. And he said, no, I, really? I don't think so. She said, no, no, I'd like to go. And he said, well, why? He said, well, she said, you're different. Like, you don't, uh, you don't hit on me. And she said, uh, I really want to. He said, okay. Um, but I haven't told you about her. Because uh, she's a pre-law student there at Colorado State back in the day. But I haven't told you is that he took her to church. And uh, what she did for work was she was an exotic dancer. And so he took her up in the balcony and said, what are we doing? And she said, what are we doing up here? So she gets up, walks down to the front row, sits there. He sits by. And as the preacher is preaching, my friend Darius is speaking, she turns to him with tears and says, have you been telling him about me? He said, I haven't said anything to him about you. We're just here. He said, he's talking right to me. At the end, when they give an invitation, she does this, and they give her a New Testament. Four days later, somehow she gets the pastor's number. She calls him, says, I'm there. And at the end of that time, when you were talking, they gave me a book, and I've read through it. Uh, not every word, but, but I've read quite a bit of it. And I just got a couple questions. There's that, there's that part in 1 Corinthians. Have and she said, have you read, do you, do you know that part, that, that one Corinthians? He said, yeah. I've read. And she said, it, it says that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Said, uh, she said, do you believe that? He said, yeah, I do. Like, like God, his spirit actually lives in me now? He said, yeah. She said, then probably I, uh, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. She said, but the reason I'm doing it is that it's really good money. And, and if gay guys are, are willing to come and look at women do this, I'm smart enough to take their money. If they're dumb enough to come, I'm smart enough to take their money. <laughs> and uh, she said, but I'm only doing it because I need the money for law school. And um, she said, but this Matthew part, this Matthew 6, it says that he takes care of the lilies of the field and don't worry about tomorrow. She said, you... You know that part? Have you read that part, Pastor? He said, yeah, I read that part. And she said, uh, well, then, if both those things are true, I'm in. What do I do next? He said, well, perhaps 
We're going to have a baptismal service, which is a public declaration of this journey you're starting with Jesus. Why don't you? And so on a Sunday night, not long after, they shut down the club. She came with all of her friends, walking down, <laughs> walking down the center aisle with the wives covering their husband's eyes as these <laughs> folks coming down. And several of her friends came to Jesus that night. And she had told her friends, I'm not judging what you do. All I know is that my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I can't do this anymore in this way for this reason. And I hear Philippians, Paul in Philippians, second chapter saying, be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. This is Eugene Peterson's The Message. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you, God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. When he's at work in you, it gives him the most pleasure. Those of you who have children, when things are moving in, you know what I'm talking about here. So I count on those spirit things, both of those things. He's always, he's always at work in us. Let me come back to my friend Denny. When they got him to the hospital, his brainwave was like this, wasn't this way, it was just, and they said the chances of him living are remote, and if he does, he'll just be a vegetable. And he was in a coma for 30 days, and I'd go see him every day. And I can't, even recounting this almost 50 years later, I can't, I, or I, I can't describe to you what it feels like to have a 28-year-old friend who is urbane and witty and smart and heart committed to God, laying in a bed in restraints, tubes all in him, eyes rolling around in his head like some stunned or wounded animal. And I stood by his bed one day, he was in a coma for 30 days. And I stood by his bed and this is what I said to God. God, I believe that the spirit of man dwells in the cortex of the human brain. And when the cortex is damaged, that person is no longer human I can almost I can almost hear the Lord saying oh boy <laughs> both again you know I, but I'm still here he did not vaporize me I'm still here <laughs> have you ever said stupid stuff and you're not vapor well no you're all here so you apparently okay and so I you know, I, but I was so frustrated. I didn't know how to describe it. And I went and got in the elevator. And when I got in the elevator, I just, I was by myself. I turned and slammed my fist into the elevator wall, almost broke my hand. And I asked the classic question when we don't know what's going on, when it's beyond us, we say, why? And I felt like the Lord said, Foth, you can ask me any question you want, and I can answer it, but your frame of reference may not be large enough to get the answer. It's like C.S. Lewis says, something like this. He said, you know, we ask questions like, how long is yellow or is round uh, blue? It'd, it'd be like our son Chris is now 50, but let's say he was four, and he came to me and said, Dad, what is a... What's an atom? And I say, well, your body's got all kinds of atoms. There's gazillions of atoms make up your body. There's these little tiny things in there. And, it, and I'm trying to explain to him how these work. And I take an apple and an orange, and I'm trying to show him what an electron is and what Newton, how all that works. And he's saying, oh, wow, I've got apples and oranges all over my body. You know, he just, he doesn't, his frame of reference is not large enough to get it. 
and our frame of reference most of the time is not large enough to get God. That's why he has to fire it up by his Holy Spirit being in, in us. So 30 days out, I drive into our driveway and Ruth comes running out of the house. And those of you who are a bit older, you remember when curlers were the order of the day. How many remember when curl online, you can confess online, just curlers. And we had an agreement, don't come out like that. Because, you know, you, you scare every dog in the neighborhood. Do not do that. And she ran up and pounded on the window. I rolled it down. She said, the hospital called and Denny spoke. I, I, I threw it into reverse, raced to the hospital, ran up to the second floor nurse's station and said, I understand Denny McNabb spoke. And they said, yes. I said, what, what, did he, what did he say? She said, we always talk to people. Those in the medical community know this. We always talk to people who are in comas because we don't know what they hear, but we think they hear a lot of time. And so we were, we were taking the orange juice tube out of his nose or however they had it in him. And they said to him, do you want more orange juice now, Denny? And he said, later. That's what they said. He said, I was so excited. I'm saying, he's coming back. He's right there. I ran into his room, and here he is. He's in the restraints, and, and I'm talking to him, and he's nothing. He's not responding. Finally, I walked over, closed that heavy hospital door. You know, those heavy hospital doors keep the sound. And, and I walked over, and I grabbed him by the shoulders. He was a big guy, and I shook him, tubes and all, and said, McNabb, can you hear me? And he takes a deep breath, and he says, yep. <laughs> I went... I went crazy. I thought, he's going he's gonna to come back. He's going to be back. And he didn't come back, not the way I wanted to. He had amnesia. He didn't know his hands were connected to his body. If you gave him something like this, he would, like a baby, stick it in his mouth. That's what he'd do. He, he didn't know his wife. He didn't know his daughters. He sort of had a vague recollection, recollection that he was born in Zion, Illinois. Long story short, one day I walked into his hospital room and they're showing him cards, speech therapist saying, what is this? And he says, I don't know. She says, it's a cup. He said, what's a cup? He said, you put water. He said, what's water? He said, you drink it. What's drink? He doesn't, he doesn't know anything. And I had this hunch. Sometimes your hunch turns out to be a leading of this Holy Spirit we're talking about. Come Holy Spirit and give me hunches. I have a friend who says, when God saves you, he saves your huncher too, right? <laughs> And, and this, this idea came to my mind. I said, Denny, here's a kid who'd gone to church camp and VBS, all these things, learned verses. I said, Denny, do you, do you remember this? And he doesn't know that his hands are connected to his body. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I stopped. And he gets this faraway look in his eyes. And he says that if I believe in him, I won't die anymore. I said, Denny, do you, do you remember this? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And he picks it up on key and sings it all the way to the end. And the nurse about passes out. <laughs> and I start bawling. Now let me just frame it this way. The story has not ended. Denny is still alive. He alternated all those years between 8 and 28. He's been in a facility, in a care home for almost five decades in Wisconsin. And uh, 
I don't get that. I confess to you, and I don't like that, right? But I would go to see him, and, uh, you know, we'd, we'd go visit him. And early on, one time, a friend and I took him swimming, and we missed his humor because when the, when the prefrontal cortex is damaged or the emotions or whatever it is, you know, you, you lose your capacity for humor a lot of times. And so I took him swimming because he'd been a lifeguard, and we got out, and we were in about seven or eight feet of water, and all of a sudden I turn around and he's gone. And I have a friend with me, and he's gone. I'm saying, dear Lord, what am I going to, you know, where? And about that time, he comes back up, spits out a mouthful of water, grins at me, and says, boy, sure can't sit down out here, can you? And I, I'm saying, my man is back. And I, oh, yeah. And then there was the time in Champaign-Urbana when he was in a, in a rehab facility where a tornado, three-quarters of a mile across on the ground, had taken out 13 houses in a little village, and it was headed right toward this facility. And the alarms were going off, and they herded all of these people, people who were brain damaged in auto accidents, people who had always not had capacities, older people, younger people, herded them, and it's pandemonium. And in the middle of that, Denny stands up and says, what we need to do here is pray. And the nurse said, okay, okay, Denny, go ahead, you pray. And he said, dear Jesus, you know us. We can't take care of ourselves. Please don't let this tornado hit us. And that tornado came up within a quarter of a mile, lifted, went across the facility, sat down on the far side of the highway, and kept going through the cornfields. And that next Sunday, there were three nurses in church. <laughs> you say, well, you, not everything works like that. No, not everything works like that. I'm glad that some things work like that. I'm glad that the Spirit of God is present, whether it's for a total healing, whether it's for engagement at some level, but I was coming to understand that whether he could engage with me or not, Denny, he was engaging by the Spirit in other ways. And so the Holy Spirit is always beyond, never contained. You can't quantify the Spirit. How many foot-pounds of Spirit do we have in this space? today how many buckets how many how many yards of spirit? we can't we can't quantify it but think of it beyond the the spirit goes beyond stuff we could i love this verse in galatians 5 but the fruit of the spirit if the spirit's in you is love joy peace forbearance or long-suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control and this is the line i love against such things there is no law I have a friend who says the law sets thresholds. If you go below the threshold, you get a fine or they throw you in the clink or whatever. What, what if you got prosecuted for these things? You know, like, well, you know, Harry, he got sentenced to uh, five months and a $10,000 fine. You hear about that? They say, no, what? Well, he had too much joy. They, they sentenced him. Because, you know, or how about he was indicted for being kind? No, the Holy Spirit goes beyond the limits that we have and the limits that the law sets. That Holy Spirit is beyond our natural selves. And when I, still, when I think of Denny, I still don't fathom it. I don't like it, but he, for the last 15 years, 50 years, has been part of the always Spirit. The Spirit has still used him, like we heard, in that damaged cortex he is loving when we've talked to the folks at this facility and it's been a while he's kind and gentle he actually led songs for their chapel they had little chapel services and two weeks ago 
One of the reasons that I'm speaking this is that two weeks ago, I got a text from church leaders in Illinois saying that we're trying to find exactly where Denny McNabb is because this coming week, upcoming, there's a gathering of hundreds of church leaders. It's called the Church Network Council, something like that. And Denny is going to be honored with a certificate for 50 years ordained. And, and he said, and I want to, and they found him. I, we went online, we found exactly where he was in Union Grove, Wisconsin. And the, he's still living in his mid-70s. And this church leader is going to take this certificate, drive up to Wisconsin, and give it to him. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with the fact that the Holy Spirit also doesn't let us forget the good things. He keeps us on track for the things that count. And one last thought. Holy Spirit is always deep. For me, no one connects life's hard moments in God's presence like the ancient songwriter David. David's in exile in Psalm 42, I believe, and he talks about longing to go back and sing in the courts of the Lord. And in Psalm 42, 7, that starts out, like the deer pants for the water, so my heart pants for thee. It says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. The deep mercy of God needs our emptiness, someone has said, into which it might pour itself. Nothing can fully meet the depth of our need but the depth of his almighty fullness. I have a friend last week. I was on a ranch in Wyoming with a friend of some years who has um, gone through a difficult time. And he just said, one of the things that strikes me is the grace of God always initiates. By his spirit, he always initiates when I can't. There's this old song, it goes like this. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle way. Spirit of God is always, always at work in us, always beyond, always deep. I had that need moment with Denny McNabb 50 years ago and it changed how they saw the spirit. And 10 years ago, I had another one. It was 10 years ago tomorrow morning, 10-15, May 22nd, 2013. There were nine of us in the room. Several, uh, several of us had gotten together over a 20-year period once a year and Ruth and I were there. Estes Park, Colorado, 7,500 feet up in the Rockies. And when these friends were gathered, one of the women shared a tremendously difficult thing she was going to. And Ruth, my quiet wife, who usually doesn't speak very much in such settings, said to the woman, I feel like I'm supposed to share something with you that I really like. I don't know if I can say it because my heart is pounding too hard and we thought she was just nervous. And she started quoting this, a poem by Grace Noel Crowell called For One Who Is Tired. Dear heart, God does not say today, be strong. He knows your strength is spent. He knows how long the road has been, how weary you've grown. For he walked the earthly roads alone, each bogging lowland and each long steep hill. He understands, and so he says, be still 
and know that I am God. The hour's late and you must rest a while and you must wait until life's empty reservoirs fill up as slow rain fills an empty upturned cup. Hold up your cup, dear child, for God to fill. He only asks today that you be still. And she sat back in the love seat next to me and suddenly slumped to her left. And I looked and her eyes were open and she wasn't breathing and she was gone, same as Denny. And I grabbed her and shouted, Ruthie, don't leave me. Started to weep and people started making two calls. God help us. And is this 911? And long story short, Within two or three minutes, a young rookie cop ran into the room we had put her on the floor and started doing the chest compressions. And when he did that first one where it cracks the ribs like it's supposed to, all the, all the wimpy guys in the room left and the women who had babies, they're, they're there, but the guys, you know, they wander out. And, and they start doing that one, two, three, hundred to a minute, whatever it is. It's a fast beat. And within minutes, she was surrounded. In minutes, they had cut her clothes off. All I could see was her feet sticking out. And one of our friends had come over, and she sat beside me and held my hand. And of course, we're all in shock. And when they put the paddles on her, her feet came off the floor. Nothing happened. They kept going, still that metronome. One, two, three, four, five. Did it again, nothing. The third time they shocked her, her feet came off the floor. I heard what may be, apart from Jesus loves me, like the best sentence in the world. We have a pulse. They took her, paralyzed her as they do, put her into what they call the Haka protocol where they take your body temperature down to 92 degrees for a day and then warm you back up half a degree an hour over the next 24 hours. And they helicoptered her down to medical center of the Rockies without going into all the details. 11 days later, she walked out of the hospital, but they said, they told us, they said, we don't know how much brain damage there's been. We don't know if she'll wake up in 72 hours, probably not before 72 hours at the earliest, maybe weeks, maybe months. She may never wake up. In the middle of the second night, a doctor who's part of this congregation, many of you know him, Dr. Thomas Matthew, came walking, he was on rounds, he wasn't our doctor, I'd only met him in passing once, he walked in, looked around, said, Dick, I think it's gonna be okay. He's now the chief of cardiac surgery here at Suburban, but he was there then, and he walked in and he just said, um, I think it's gonna be all right, and there was no empirical data that I could see. Long story short, he turned to me and said something no doctor had ever said to that point, and that is, can I pray for Ruth? said, absolutely. He put his hand on her, and in a loud voice, nurses, docs coming and going, he said, Lord God Almighty, I pray that you will raise Ruth up, heal her from the top of her head to the toes of her feet, give her back to us, and so forth, and he walked out. Three hours later, I'm trying to sleep at the head of her bed in one of those uncomfortable hospital things that you're laying there, and they shook me awake at 2.10 in the morning and said, Ruth's waking up. They got me up stood by the bed and they have these protocols because you have these major nerve clusters that go wherever you guys in medicine know it and they do these protocols and, and the male nurse said Ruth look at me she's drugged up she looks at him he, he said squeeze my hand she squeezes his hand said wiggle your toes she wiggles her toes she said he said wiggle the toes on your right foot she wiggled the toes on her right foot 
He said, shrug your shoulders. She did this. He said, give me a smile. She's intubated. She gives one of those, you know. <laughs> and then he said, give me two thumbs up. And she went, and I lost it. I'm shouting and crying and thanking Jesus. It's the only thing she remembers from 11 days is two thumbs up. And I think God Almighty was going. That you say, well, why doesn't that happen for everybody? I don't know. All I know is that it happened at that moment for a reason. And Ruth and I said, just before I got on the plane to come here, just think we have had 10 years because of his grace. He had something for me to do, had something for me to um, express myself, and that has been it. So here's my deal. Wednesday morning coming up, it was resurrection day for her. That's the day she woke up. And um, I just would like to say that we need to say thank you for things like that. So one year later, she's an apple pie baker. We took apple pies to the EMTs in Estes, to the fire department, to the, all these people. We walked into the fire department, and I'm going to hurry here. Walked into the fire department, and they knew we were coming, but they had to go out on a call. It's a volunteer department. There was one young woman there, and she said, My, you're Ruth, aren't you? I said, yes. She said, I was the second person in the room last year when you were on the floor. He, she said, I had stopped because in February, we went on a call, and we lost a friend of mine who was 25 years old, and I said, I'm done. I'm not doing this EMT thing anymore, but I happened to have my pager on, and when they called, I was two miles away, and I was the second person in the room, and when I heard that you had awakened, I said, I'm in for the rest of my life. I'm going to do this. We go to the police department and we give, a, we give that young rookie cop, he gets his own pie. That guy gets his own pie. <laughs> and they just said, uh, at the end of our little gathering there, we got all the detectives and all the officers in the room. The chief said, we understand you are prayers. Would you pray for our police department? So standing in that room, we get to pray for... You never know when the Spirit works what the side pieces or seemingly the side pieces are. I don't think that young officer will ever forget. I hope he never forgets. So I'm going to pray now. I'm going to stop. And what I'd like to say is some of you have people and situations in your life like the Denny's. And it's been so hard to hang in. And I just... I just want to say, don't stop. Don't stop. And if you're like young Jenny, that young woman at Colorado State, and you're saying, I don't know, what I, but I, I need something more than what I have, jump in to that. But I'd like you to bow your hearts and your heads with me as we close. And if you're willing for this, I stand in proxy today for my friend Denny, who is not whole by our standards, but I believe he's whole by God's standards. And if you have someone in your world like that, for whom you think, about whom you think, and for whom you care, and you'd like for me to include you in the closing prayer, would you just slip your hand up? Just put your hand up and say, include me. I, I'm in proxy for that person. Lord Jesus, here we are. There's so much about this world we don't know, but the best thing about this world we do know is that because of who you are and what you've done, we are in this space today, and the spirit is deeper than the cortex of our brains.
not like in science, but in reality for what, how things work. I don't know how it all works, but I pray for every person who has raised a hand today and online that your spirit will be profoundly encouraging to them not to stop, but to just to keep moving forward in Jesus. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said,